Hi, Sarah. Hi there, Richard. Welcome to Coffee Talk with Benefits, a podcast brought to you by Seifert Shaw's Employee Benefits and Executive Compensation Department. As your host, Richard Schwartz and I, Sarah Tuzlin, will interview a member of the Seifert's Employee Benefits and Executive Compensation Department or an outside expert in the employee benefits world. In each episode, we'll discuss interesting, tricky, and sometimes amusing issues that come across our desks all over a cup of coffee. Today, we are joined by Liz Deckman, a partner in our Employed Benefits Department. Liz, we're so excited to have you here today to talk to us about SPDs, one of our favorite topics. Can you please just tell us a little bit about your practice? Sure. So I am in SciFar's Seattle office, and I work primarily with employers, large employers who have defined benefit pension plans, 401k plans, health and welfare plans, and really try to help them administer those plans properly and also helping them draft plans and summary plan descriptions. So this topic fits right into the types of things that I do on a daily basis. So that's terrific, Liz. So you'd be the right person for me to ask because I hear all the time people talking about summary plan description this, summary plan description that. What's the big deal about these summary plan descriptions? Well, I think the summary plan descriptions are really important because they are the most important mechanism for employers to tell their employees and their plan participants what their plan documents say, what their benefits are, what they need to do in order to get a benefit, and how those benefits are going to be paid to them. So it's really important that the SPDs, as we call them, are correct and accurate and sent to everybody who needs to get them. So which plans are subject to the summary plan description requirements? Oh, that's a good question, Richard. Plans that are subject to ERISA are required to get to send out SPDs. Those are like 401k plans, profit sharing plans, tax qualified ones, 403b plans, pension plans, but notably plans that are sponsored by governmental entities or church plans. They're not required to send out technical SPDs, as we call them. And also top hat plans, plans that are providing benefits primarily for a select group of management or highly compensated employees. So, Liz, you mentioned um, retirement type plans and pension plans. Health and welfare plans also subject to these SPD requirements? Oh, yes, Richard, they are. Today, I think we're still sort of concentrating on retirement plan issues, but you are absolutely correct. Health and welfare plans are subject to the ERISA SPD requirements. And sometimes those SPDs look a lot different than retirement plan SPDs simply because you have, for example, insurance contracts that spell out all of the terms of those benefits. So sometimes what an employer will do will have a combined plan document and summary plan description where you wrap in those insurance contracts as part of the SPD plan document. And um, that just looks a little bit different than what a, a typical SPD does for a retirement plan. So Liz, I know these SPDs can get quite lengthy and detailed. What kind of information actually is required to be in an SPD? Well, the contents of the SPD are set forth, the required contents are set forth in a Department of Labor regulation. And that regulation is a laundry list of pertinent plan information like who's the plan sponsor, 
who's the plan administrator, what's its address, telephone number, plan name. You know, you're supposed to be describing the benefits, eligibility, vesting, those types of things. And then there's other information that's maybe more, we think is more esoteric. For example, there's whether or not the plan is subject to PBGC regulations. So defined benefit pension plans need to explain that. And DC plans need to say, well, we're not. So you know, there's just a long laundry list of things that you really need to sort of every time I look at an SPD, I go through that checklist and make sure that each and every one of those items is listed and explained in the SPD because I don't want to have an SPD that fails to include one of the required provisions. Great. Now, is there other language that even though it's not on that you know, laundry list that you mentioned that you may want to consider including? And I guess if you do include it, is there a downside in including things that may not be required? Well, that's a good question. You know, I think that there are some things that we are routinely putting into SPDs that I think are really important and should be included. For example, the right to amend the plan and to update an SPD with a, a summary of material modifications. Perhaps governing law. I know ERISA is going to generally apply to ERISA covered benefit plans, but you might want to have, you know, the plan sponsors hometown jurisdiction be part of where the law that's going to be covering the terms of the plan to the extent ERISA doesn't, where lawsuits need to be brought, the forum, the jurisdiction, those types of things. And, you know, also today's day and age, security of your plan information is really important. And so maybe putting in a warning to participants to really safeguard that account balance information, their password, you know, how to get access to their benefits, because people are out there trying to steal plan assets and we want to help stop that. Yeah. And Liz, that's a, I think that's a really excellent point. I, I've noticed just in the past year or so when working on SPDs, we've been including a lot more language about safeguarding your password and you know, selecting a password that's not your name, one, two, three, four, just <laughs> sort of um, <laughs> seems like common sense, but just, just as a reminder to folks. It's really interesting stuff. There are other provisions that we like to see in summary plan descriptions, one of which is our old Firestone language that the plan administrator has discretionary authority, which gives a deferential standard of review should you ever end up in court. More recently, we have claims limitation periods that we've been putting in. You mentioned jurisdictional, Liz, but also claims limitations so that somebody cannot come back to you three, four years later and raise a claim. We like to limit that to a shorter period of time. The SPDs that I work with, I tend to limit that to about a year after the participant either knew or should have known of the claim. A lot of the times that's triggered by the benefit statement. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think what's important, although we don't have specific guidance on that, is that that statute of limitations needs to be a reasonable one. You know, I think a year is probably a good reasonable period of time for people to pick up on those types of issues and, and make the claim and go to court. So how often do you distribute SPDs? I know that's a question that we get quite a bit. Sure. So there are different rules for different situations. So if you have a brand new plan, for example, you are supposed to provide a summary plan description within 120 days after the plan's established. So that's a one-time thing. But then it's an ongoing requirement for plan administrators to make sure they're sending out SPDs timely. So within 90 days after somebody becomes covered under the plan, you're supposed to give them an SPD. 
And oftentimes that happens in, you know, their enrollment kit. You give them information about where to access or you actually give them a copy of the SPD. And then every five years, you're supposed to update and restate the SPD. And believe it or not, if you don't change it, which really does never happen to me, within 10 years, you have to then do a restated SPD every 10 years, even if you don't make any changes to a plan. Interesting. I know I I feel like there are also we have a lot of clients who sometimes prefer to just continuously update the actual SPD rather than issue SMMs. Just sometimes it's easier to track one document versus, you know, an SPD with all of these other sort of snap on SMMs that you also have to track. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about SMMs or summary of material modifications. So those are like amendments to your SPD. If you change your plan, you don't have to have a completely new restatement, although you can if you want to, as you were saying. Some employers say, listen, this change is so small. I just want to send out like an update to my SPD. And that's what we call an SMM. Those are supposed to be given out 210 days after the close of the plan year in which that change was adopted. So you do have some time to update your SPDs and send out SMMs if you want to. But obviously, that's the outer limit. If you want to, you can send it out certainly a lot sooner than that. Liz, are there situations where a single plan will have more than one summary plan description? Yes, it does happen. Oftentimes, I'll see that when you have two very different populations of employees. For example, you'll have a a union population and a non-union population. And each population has very different contribution or vesting terms. And so it would be confusing to send one SPD to both populations. So you can come up with two different versions of an SPD for one plan. I think you just have to say in the SPD, you know, this is the version of the SPD for this population and that there might be other versions out there. And how do you distribute the summary plan descriptions? Well, that's a difficult question. Well, it's not a difficult question to answer. It's just difficult to do sometimes. The Department of Labor is very traditional, and it's also really focused on making sure that employees get these SPDs and understand them. So their historic rule has been you send it by a mail or you give it to them in, you know, by hand. You, you distribute it to everybody's desk at work. But obviously, we have now entered the 21st century. And people aren't actually working in the office anymore and have access to computers. So the Department of Labor has come around to allowing us to distribute SPDs electronically. This is especially easy if you are actually a a current employee and you use a computer for your work duties. Then the employer or the plan administrator just needs to give the participants sort of an email saying, hey, here's this SPD. You can access it on the website or here it is as an attachment, explain what it is and the importance of that document. And that's all you need to do other than you think you also need to tell them that they can get a copy of it for free, a hard copy of free. But that's all you really need to do. You do need to prove that they've actually received it. So return receipt requested is important, which is kind of hard if you have a lot of employees. So maybe doing a survey to a select group of employees saying, hey, did you get this? And keep a copy of those results so that you can show that the Department of Labor, if they ever audit the plan, I have had the DOL really look at that electronic distribution rule. It's a little bit harder if you are not a current employee who uses a computer for your work duties, because then you actually have to get consent 
from those former employees or participants without a computer. And that's a little bit more difficult to do, but you can actually do it electronically if you get their consent. And then recently, the Department of Labor in 2020, I think, actually sent out even more recent uh, guidance that only applies to retirement plan SPDs. And there it's, you know, you have to send out a paper notice first and foremost and say, hey, we're going to be sending these types of documents electronically. You're either going to send it to your, you know, to your email or it's going to be posted on our intranet. And then every time you update something, you can send an email saying, hey, here's the, the document. You can access it this place. But again, participants can opt out of that delivery method. And so there are some challenges. To following the new rules. Are, are you guys seeing people actually using these new rules at all, or are they sort of sticking with the old traditional methods? I've seen and experienced a good deal amount of confusion with clients. The old rules where you would send it by email, the old rules from the early 2000s where you would send it by email, people understand that. But with the advent of websites, intranet sites, or what the new regulations refer to as continuous access websites. I think employers are moving in that direction. Uh, it'll just take a little time. And I've seen, for example, employers that use third-party administrators, which is almost everybody, those people often have email addresses. So every time you get a new employee, you should try to get their personal email address. And when they leave, make sure that you get their personal email address and, and encourage them to update you so that you can make this type of communication a lot easier. Yeah, and I know we've been talking about, I believe, sort of the requirements for distribution on the DOL side. And I think we're still, we've been told at least recently by the IRS that they're working on or have been working on regulations or some guidance on electronic disclosure under IRS rules. So it seems like we may even have some more updates coming down the pike or new rules coming down the pike. Yeah, it, it would be nice to get something that is easy to administer because as you said, Sarah, these SPDs can be long and complicated. And so, you know, I think people are more likely to look at something that they can see electronically than keeping a hard copy of an SPD. At least I know that's sort of who I am. And it's, I would lose that SPD in my file somewhere. So. Agree. So Liz, who typically drafts the SPD? So who drafts SPDs? That depends on the type of plan that you're looking at. If it's an individually designed plan, most likely an attorney is going to be drafting the SPD. But more and more employers are going to the pre-approved plan route, volume submitters, for example. And in the package that you get when you go to a third-party administrator who sponsors a volume submitter plan, there is an SPD that they create electronically. And the SPD that the uh, that the third party administrator creates will show each and every provision of the adoption agreement that you have chosen. So in that respect, that's a pro for one of those types of SPDs. It's a good thing that they show each and every part of the adoption agreement that you've chosen. But sometimes the SPDs go into more detail about some of the things that you haven't chosen. One example is we've seen some SPDs where even though the employer hasn't chosen to allow people to elect to make Roth contributions, the SPD says, oh, and if your employer allows you to make Roth contributions, this is what happens. And I feel that sometimes those types of extraneous provisions 
are confusing to participants. So one way to fix that is to have somebody actually look at the SPD that is computer generated and try to target it more towards the actual plan terms. And I think that that works pretty well for uh, employers because not only do they have a good base for their SPD to be drafted off of, but then you have the extra level of care in terms of making sure that the SPD is directly targeted to the plan's terms so that participants can understand it a little bit better. What other concerns do you have about computer-generated SPDs? Well, the individually designed plans don't have the sort of the check boxes that you do in adoption agreements. And so what the computer-generated SPDs do is they take the specific language from the adoption agreement that you've put in or that you've checked and put it in the SPD. And they sometimes have things that are repetitious or they're really not necessary to put into the plan SPD. So I just like to make them more concise and more so they flow a little bit better for people to read. Yeah, Liz, I think that's a great point. And I've had that experience as well. I think one area that I don't see oftentimes addressed and sometimes in the pre-approved SPD documents is plan governance provisions and maybe a reference to like the committee as plan administrator versus, you know, instead of the employer, oftentimes they'll just refer to the employer as being the plan administrator. So I think there are sometimes, I I think it's still very important, I agree, to review the pre-approved SPD document just to make sure that it's participant friendly and includes those provisions that we like to see in an individualized SPD. Yep. Agreed. So Liz, every lawyer's nightmare is that you have two legal documents. You have your plan document and your summary plan description, which are supposed to be the same and provide the same information. What happens if the SPD is not consistent with the plan document? Yes, unfortunately, uh, that does happen from time to time. And we do see litigation ensuing when there are conflicts between an SPD and a plan document. Normally, what I will see an SPD say is that the terms of the plan govern and that the SPD is just a summary of what the plan says. And that if there is a conflict between the SPD and the plan, that the plan governs. But that unfortunately does not always happen. And I've seen case law where, you know, courts will say, listen, these people, these participants relied on the terms of the SPD to their detriment. And so employer, you know, you're going to have to follow the terms of the SPD, even though it isn't in the plan document. So that's why, you know, it's really important to try as hard as you can to make the SPD reflect the terms of the plan. But that can be kind of difficult because, you know, trying to explain all of the plan limitations and the the tax requirement rules, that's not something that's easily explained or understood. So, you know, you have to walk a fine line between making sure that the plan document and the SPD are the same, but cutting out the information that just is not necessary or confusing. Really very interesting stuff. And I guess... The SPD is something we all have to deal with on a regular basis. Yeah, no, thank you, Liz. This was great. Well, thank you for the opportunity to uh, participate in Coffee Talk with Benefits. I'll be talking to you guys later. Terrific. Thanks again. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in next time for a conversation with SciFarth partner Linda Haynes to talk about cryptocurrency investments in 401k plans. Thank you for listening to Coffee Talk with Benefits, brought to you by SciFarth Shaw. We invite you to subscribe and follow on your favorite podcasting platform. Learn more at coffeetalkwithbenefits.com. 